Okay, Daniel, mixed results for the teams this weekend. United women lost in the cup final, FA Cup final. The men, pretty routine win against Wolves. Where do you want to start? I guess, should we, just, should we do the cup final because that's just finished? And that's the cup final. Disappointing result. We seem to turn on substitutions. One, Chelsea were able to bring on Pernille Harder, who just completely changed the game. Her. She's a brilliant player. I mean, obviously, previously world record transfer. And 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 weirdly, Mark Skinner took off Nikita Paris and Ella Toon, who were probably United's two best players for an hour, seemed a very odd set of substitutions, tried to mix it up tactically, just didn't work at all. Not as odd as his rig out, though. Did you see yeah. he was wearing a blazer with a kind of red jumper underneath? Right, red jumper underneath, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, was it was full Hegel- Nagelsmann, wasn't it? But it wasn't. It wasn't even proper red. It was that kind of off Liverpool red, rather yeah. than that blood, bright, United gorgeous red, yeah. United red, like yeah. it's meant to be. It was almost like verging on the rust, and he got the defeat his rig deserved. I would say, but <laughs> I felt like it was one of those games where quite early on. It, I mean, I, I wasn't watching it carefully, unfortunately, because I was covering. I was covering Everton City for work. So I had it it on on another screen, but it felt like we've all seen those games a lot of times, usually with United playing the Chelsea role, where the inferior team, and I say inferior, there's not a lot in it between those teams. It's almost more the team, the inexperienced team, I would say, is all right for a bit and plays well for a bit, but they don't take their chances and then they get punished by the team that knows how to win. Well, that's right. I mean, it's United men's in the late 90s in Europe, right? <laughs> or mid to late 90s. It, it's, I don't think United have beaten Chelsea since the club was reformed five years ago. We get a lot of these results. I think this is probably the most competitive of the fixtures I've seen. They got United battered women's. earlier in the season, didn't they? They did, yeah. And, and they were really in this for an hour and they had chances in the first half. And just couldn't take them. And and even that chance late on for Leia Galton, who couldn't really dig out a shot, where it all went kind of crazy in the six-yard box. And and they'll regret that, of course. But it, just, it did really change with Pernille Harder. She immediately found spaces that other players didn't. And obviously managed to find the ball in for Sam Kerr to score the, the winner. Football writers of Player of the Year, Sam Kerr. Which is nuts. Which is absolutely nuts. I mean, Sam Kerr's a brilliant player. But player of the year, not anywhere close. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's true. There's probably three players at United who have outperformed that. I mean, if you look at Anna Bachi's performance this year, she's probably United's standout player. In fact, I mean, the previous two best players for United, Alicia Russo and Ella Toon, probably aren't they're not in the top three of United's performance this season, but they were good today. Yeah, I mean, Toon, Toon's, as I said this last week, massively come on since the summer. And yeah. she now looks like someone who expects to do big things at big moments. Didn't quite happen for today, but she's just playing, she's, she's growing. I think it's just when people play with just proper confidence, knowing that they can trust themselves. Right. And that always makes a massive difference. Right. And she was excellent for England when playing. Of course, she didn't always start. In the in the Euros, but obviously scored a, a very important goal for England. That has probably helped her confidence. I mean, she just disappeared out of the game when shifted to the right today. And it's just what I say about the weird substitutions, really. I mean, Nikita Paris moments beforehand put a brilliant cross in, 
and Russo just couldn't quite reach. Was very dangerous. Not been brilliant this season by any means, but I thought it was quite effective today. And then suddenly Toon was shifted out to the right. United changed to a four four two and and basically couldn't get the ball again. I think what we actually saw with that also is that Emma Hayes left out harder. I don't know if it didn't seem that particularly expected, but when you have United, I guess, if you look at, compare it to the men's, it's Chelsea or City and United or Arsenal, where United have got a good first 11 and not loads beyond that, whereas it felt like the Emma Hayes didn't get a decision, that, yeah. where she could say, well, actually, if I've got, I think this is going to be a close game, I've got someone of Peniel Harder's quality to bring on with half an hour to go or whatever, then that gives you something that you can really do to change the game. I actually think it's something that Tanaka is going to have to think about before the cup final because, I mean, I guess we'll come to the men, but just to draw the parallel because I'm not going to start it and then keep everyone hanging on the excitement. I wonder what it might be. What could he mean by that? Like I'm Talleyrand. <laughs> I think if I was picking the team for the cup final, I would be extremely tempted to play Rashford at centre forward and Garnacho on the left oh, yeah, because sure. it's pointless having Garnacho to bring on with 70 to go if it's 3 0 at that point. Yeah, and yeah. I just don't trust Martial and Sancho to do anything. But if it's close on 70 minutes and you've got someone like Garnacho to bring on, then that make, can make a very significant difference to a game because it is just very rare we see Garnacho come on and do fuck all. No, as as we'll get to, because yeah, it certainly made a difference against Wolves. So, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it, I think the parallels. I think the parallels fine. I mean, there's definitely more depth, and it, it's going to be a big question for United Women going forward now. Because you'd say, well, they need to invest to to bridge whatever gap there is to Chelsea, and it could end up. It still could end up with United winning the the Women's Super League, although. Is looking increasingly unlikely with Chelsea having made up 13 goals of goal difference in two games. That was United's cushion. Now, I think we talked about that. Yeah, I I think we discussed exactly that. I think it it was you, Dominic. I completely dismissed it. You did. Yeah, I was like, if Arsenal get a draw against Chelsea, that's United's title. No longer, no longer true. It's like that City win was it City? They beat Norwich six 0 or six one in twenty twelve or something, and suddenly it was like, oh. Yeah, I know. I mean, thirteen goals—it's astonishing, really. But uh, anyway, to finish the point, United obviously looking to increase the quality of the squad. They already do invest quite well. I mean, the wage budget is, if not the biggest in the Women's Super League, not far off it, despite Chelsea probably having more star players. Uh, United have, they do produce a lot of money for a Women's Super League team. And and you'd, you'd be looking to, to bridge whatever gap there is. The, the problem is, of course, that there's Onubachi may well end up at Barcelona. It's unclear whether she wants to stay or not. So they certainly want her, and Alessia Russo's out of contract, and and so you know you're going backwards and forwards. It's not there. just those two. There's someone else no. as well. I forget who, but yeah, but the problem is while they're trying to sign players, they're also trying to keep players. Yeah. Although I mean, I felt like Russo might have gone last summer. Part of me thought maybe she'd go last summer, but because they've improved so much, it might mean that some of the play that Rousseau in particular thinks that it's worth giving it and at least one more season because she's kind of project committed if you want. But yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, you do tend to get short contracts in WSL and so maybe she'll sign another year or two. 
But also, where where's she, she going to go? If she goes to Chelsea, if she goes to go to Chelsea, she's not getting in instead of Sam Kerr. Yeah. If she goes to Arsenal, they've already got Midmar, Lexenius. So, and the thing with Rousseau is that because she lacks a bit of pace, she actually needs a team to be configured around her, which you're not getting. Which you're not getting in most in most teams, but she she happens to already be here and established as. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she hasn't been the season as you said, but last season I thought she stood out as the team's best player by quite a long way. Even if she wasn't the best player in every game, she was the one, you know, when you watch a game, you can see, well, such and such a player's not playing that well today, but they mm-hmm. look the best player in this team. And I felt like that about Rousseau almost every time I watched them. She, yeah, she's not a high goal scorer, but but excellent all-round game. Big big ass backs into players, traditional number nine, that kind of thing. But yeah, you know, exactly. So when yeah. I first watched her a couple of seasons ago, the first thing I thought of was Mark Hughes. Yeah. Just... Great, tu- great touch, imagination, great feet. Um, yeah, she she is that. But it's funny because I, I wonder what Hughes would do in the age of four three three, because he was he was a four four two kind of guy because he's taking heat away from the other striker and also not generally getting as many goals as you would want your main number nine to get. But mm-hmm. yeah, what I wouldn't give for much is now fucking you know. up. Oh, character. Yeah, it, it, that that spikiness on the pitch translated into a spikiness off it when he became a manager. So, <laughs> I don't know whether younger listeners will even remember Hughes as a player, but he was a brilliant player and one the fans yeah, absolutely loved and then became complete twat when he went into management. His, the, the, I've said this about other interviews probably, but the interview with him on the official podcast is really good. He comes across yeah. really well, actually, as he a does. much better does, bloke yeah. than I guess I'd felt that he yeah. was. But he, I would say, probably United's all-time greatest big game player. And in an extremely crowded field, that is a very significant accolade. And, I mean, I'm almost... I, like, when, you started, when you started talking about him, we started talking about him now, and then I start, suddenly like, started to see an image of Anthony Martial in my mind. <laughs> and it just made me think, yes, there is a very significant difference between those two players. Um, yeah, and and I mean, I think like to to, to you know, think about the the character. I mean, the huge big game player. I mean, what United women's team do have is like a hell of a lot of characters. I mean, they their heads did drop a little bit after the Chelsea scored. Yeah, some impetus seemed to go out, but I mean, part of the makeup of this United team is they haven't got the best players in the league. I don't think really not not in terms of depth, but there's a there's a lot of determination there. I mean, when this came just, on. And, Putting a couple of reducers straight away kind of shows you the some of the the kind of characters they've got in that in that team. So. I, I think because also if you look at the teams they're competing with, Arsenal, Chelsea, City, they haven't just got some of the best players in the league; they've got some of the best players in the world. Yeah, and yeah. it's true that I mean, Marriott is one of the best, if not the best, goalkeeper, which definitely isn't something I ever thought I'd say. But but beyond that, they've got good players. They don't they don't have world beaters really. One or two, and so to get to this point is actually a pretty good effort because I think you've seen it with Arsenal as well. I remember writing early in the season when Arsenal were winning that I couldn't see a way that this side could be good enough to win the league, but it felt like they'd found a way to beat all the teams that they were superior to home and away, mm-hmm. and that's really what this United team have done. 
but they found a way. They found a way of winning games against everyone, pretty much, and they've done all right in the big games. Just, just That's about right. all right in the big games. Yeah, beat beat Arsenal twice this season. They were both both very close games, but yeah, good wins. I mean, especially at the Emirates. Like, One of the Emirates winner. was a bit was a robbery. It was a bit of a robbery. Yeah, yeah, but but they don't concede goals. They're very very competitive, and and Skinner's done that. He's definitely produced a team that that is going to fight right to the end. Doesn't concede a lot of goals. They're always in all of the games. Mostly, I mean, maybe the Chelsea game away they weren't. But that's yeah. It's it's produced them like produced the team good enough to get very very close. Unfortunately, it does look like the likely outcome of the season is to be second in the league and second in the cup final, which is going to be a disappointment. And and then it will be up to well whoever owns the club next to to reinvest and and help this team move forward. Which takes us into our into the into that takeover situation so yeah. what has changed since last week i guess more information that it seems that radcliffe is gonna win and, seems like it yeah seems and like more it. people who were pro radcliffe a few months ago suddenly saying full sad or not at all and i'm afraid full sad or not at all means i am pro the human rights abusing state owning Manchester United Football Club. I mean, it's undoubtedly true. I mean, I, uh, let's say, have had some offline conversations with some people about this one to try and work out what's going on. Because I've was, I was, I been a little surprised that the prominent protest group, 1958, done very, very well to unite fans around a single team, which is to get the Glazers out, which hasn't really, I mean, there have been big protests. I've stood on protests and carried banners and all that kind of stuff over the years. But the... Uh, the group of really, really organised people around recent protests very, very well, but refused to say anything on the takeover except this idea of full sale or nothing at all. Or I think we put out one tweet saying, if you get in bed with the Glazers, you are a Glazer. And 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 honestly, I just found this, I found it kind of childish, really. I understand the emotion behind this, why why people don't want anything to do with the Glazers. But the likelihood is, if any of us win, do win this bid in the structure that is kind of being leaked out, the Glazers won't have any same things. They're going to own like 20% of the shares. They'll be investors. They're, they, they I assume, are riding the next owner's investment into infrastructure and perhaps the team, we'll see, and hoping that the share price will rise and they can cash out a bigger number later. And then they get rid of their troublesome siblings, Edward, Darcy, Brian, and the other one, whatever they're Flat. called. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah. Uh, anyway, so I, I think that's what, I don't think we need to. I don't think we need to like make a big fuss about that. So I think there are a few prominent commentators on the internet who who are making that point. Goldbridge the other day was like, "They're still here, the Glazers." And I just yeah, does it doesn't make any difference. It's the Glazers like, owned shares in United, yeah, before two thousand and five. That's right. And they had and they had no say really until until they got enough shares and and like Lintel Train and the other investment groups. They don't have any say in how the clubs run. It's just the, right. it's just an investment. It's like I've got some Apple stock. I don't have any say in how Apple's run. I can't <laughs> give Tim Cook a call and go, fucking hell, the iPhone iPhone fourteen shit, isn't it? Right. There are there are there are small stakeholders now, as you say, and it is it will be annoying to see the Glazers continue to make money off United, but 
that is better than the alternative because at some point you have to, it's not a perfect world. You're not going to get everything. And it is literally, it does seem like a choice. It's a binary choice in the end. And yes. It's a joke. It might be a choice between a heel to the solar plexus and a boot in the balls. But one of those is better than the other two, than the other one. <laughs> good good might, analogy there. Um, and Jim Radcliffe is not a good bloke. No. And not just because he's got that hair either. He's not, he's not <laughs> a good bloke. For me, he's probably, because he wouldn't actually be damaging the club, it's a vanity project, right? This is another yeah. thing I need, think we need to say about Jim Radcliffe. Number one is that his company is worth a phenomenal amount of money, and so is he. He is not Six, 60 million euros a year in revenue, and his net worth 14 billion or so. And what's United's right? net? What's United's net revenue? About 550 million. Oh, yeah, 400 million. It, 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 it may be 600 this year, yeah. yeah. Right. So that's United. So United is much smaller, smaller. Yeah. than Ineos, right? Yeah. So yeah. what United needs to do with is it just needs Radcliffe not taking money out. But yeah. also, if he wanted to, if it was necessary, Radcliffe could very easily put money in. Yes, yeah. And yeah. it's a vanity project. He's yep. not doing this because he wants to make money out of United or feather his nest out of United. Because Certainly he, not, no. He doesn't need it. And he doesn't need the aggravation either. He's doing it for an ego boost. Yeah. Well, look, let's be clear about some of the things that are likely to happen here. Again, it's still an if. Can uh, I just finish, the, though? That yeah, the yeah, only sorry, way sorry. This, this works as... That as as an ego boost, as a vanity project for him, is if they play good fucking football. Yeah, to quote Ten Hag, that's the yeah. o- that's the only way this works for him. Otherwise, he ends up making himself look an idiot. Yeah, and yeah. getting a whole bunch of aggravation well into old age that he does not require. Well, and it's does, right. it's not reflective of him being a nice moral polluter. What's Brexiter whatsoever? It isn't. It's purely self interest. But yeah. it so happens that our interest in United being good aligns his, with his interest yeah. in yeah. his penis extension, and yeah. also with and also with Catters. Except Catters is doing a whole bunch of other nefarious shit that Radcliffe yeah, yeah, is yeah. not doing. Yeah, yeah. So the two things that seem really controversial about the the Radcliffe bids, if you if you read the internet, one there will be some leverage. I honestly, I just couldn't care about this. I, I, I think the the senior loan that United have right now will be retired, right, as in paid off, and there'll be leverage elsewhere. Ineos, sixty billion euros a year, they can leverage. That's not even like it's change in the sofa, right? It, it doesn't really matter. And then people say, oh, well, the shareholders won't get paid. It's a private company. Doesn't matter. They're not going to take dividends. Ratcliffe has already said he doesn't think that football club owners should take dividends. Not going to do it. I don't believe most tech companies who are listed don't take dividends. That's not what they're looking for. They're looking for appreciation in the stock price. Ratcliffe's not even doing it for that. This is like it's a it's a rounding error on his wealth. So it's I, I, that. So that I think we can dismiss that one honestly. And then, and then the other thing is like, how are they going to fund stadium improvements and/or a rebuild? Uh, and I think that will again come from a, a, a capital raise. But you're raising money in order to, into in order to pay down, in order to generate new money, right? So I'm not, I'm not even bothered about that either. I, honestly, and I don't think the question. Go, yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. so, so I, is it the case, right, that 
if they leverage the buy, if they leverage the buyout, so they, yeah. they 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 take out loans. Is the reason not simply because it's cheaper than doing it any other way? It's not yeah, because it's they're looking to. They're not looking. Well, so the Glazers borrowed money to buy United because they were poor. Because they, yeah, yeah, because they didn't have enough money of their own to yeah. put in. So they effectively used the club's money to buy the club. So they yeah. took massive loans off the banks, yeah. and then what they did was they loaded their own personal debt onto United's yeah. books. You can't do this Correct. anymore. So the United then pay off the debt for them. Yeah, that's not what Radcliffe is doing. So no. unless we're saying that leverage taking on debt is bad per se. And the business world shows us that this is not the case. This is yep. many businesses are run successfully Almost in this every, manner. Yeah, yeah, just because borrowing money, like, borrowing money, is cheaper than other forms of getting hold of money. Yeah, so, well, it always used to be said that debt was cheaper than equity, right? So don't don't give away your equity to raise money. Just just borrow money. That may not be true right now because of of interest rates. But Ratcliffe, I mean, it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing as a sure thing could be in terms of safety of the. Of the of the the borrowings, he's already lined up. What Goldman, I think, is the underwriter for his his leverage. It will not be leveraged against United's United's well one equity in the stadium, right? Which is what the Glazers did. I, I'm just I'd be astonished if it is. And even if it is, it's going to be twenty million pounds a year, which is like twenty million that United could spend. But we're now at a point where it's not sucking hundreds of millions out of the club, which it did in the early days of the Glazers. So I, I just whatever the structure is, and I don't believe it will be it will be on on United's books. I'm not worried about it at all. I don't think fans should be either. We can talk about we can talk about Ratcliffe's morals and it's good to talk about that. I'm trying to line up someone to come and talk about their the company, actually, in the same way I did with with Qatar and talking about human rights. Let's talk about the environmental impact because it's. There will be plenty of fans who are concerned. I think it's a very, very, very different thing than a sports washing project. <laughs> very different. But Ineos is a major polluter, uh, apparently the, the largest polluter in Scotland, for example, with one of their plants. And uh, yeah, petrochemicals company, there's, there's, uh, they're, they're in bed with the Saudis as one example. I mean, when you drill for oil or other, use oil as a substance in your, in your products, you're going to get into bed with some people that are, are fairly unsavory and that is true of Ineos. They there's been a lot of accusations of greenwashing. I'm I'm more, you know, I I kind of I haven't haven't been convinced by this argument. I'm not sure football's a great vehicle for for demonstrating your green credentials. Not when you fly around thirty games a year, you take a plane to go somewhere. You're right, I'm very green, honestly, but but maybe, maybe, I don't know. So do you want to explain do you want to explain why you think that this, these things aren't as significant as Qatar? Just because yeah, I can yeah. see that, that there might be people that are wondering why that is, because obviously polluting is bad. It's bad, right? And the, the climate crisis is real, and we believe in science, and so it's bad. The, the thing that would have happened if, if Qatar had taken on United is that forever, United would have been a pawn in, in Qatar's political ambitions, and those ambitions are both to build links into major institutions and co-opt those institutions. So in this case, the Premier League and UEFA build links with the British government and other governments. Football is, has been a great vehicle for doing that, building soft power and for building some kind of Western safety net because the threat is forever and always that Riyadh will just run troops into Qatar, 
right? So these are these are things they wanted. United would have been aligned with those political ambitions forever, right? There were there's not. I mean, Ratcliffe may sell one day. I mean, seventy years old, so he may drop dead as well. And the, the Qataris would have no motivation to do that. So you're aligned with a, a to drop foreign those. government's. Yeah, you're aligned with foreign government's foreign policy forever, right? And in the case of the Qataris, their foreign policy is sometimes aligned with Iran. Not always, that, but that has been one of the accusations. Certainly not aligned with Riyadh and Saudi Arabia, which leaves a real problem if the blockade ever struck up again. They're friendly at the moment, but it's, it's one of those things. If you follow Middle East politics, that is not guaranteed. And so you then go... Well, hang on a minute. Who, who, and 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 again, sorry, third party aligned with the British government because right now the the British government, and the Qataris, are good friends over liquid liquefied natural gas exports. That might always be the case. I mean, just incredibly risky for United on a geopolitical level, without even talking about all the human rights problems which we've talked about before. I mean, the fact that they they run an apartheid state where. Some people have full rights. Other people have almost no rights at all. I mean, it's pretty unpalatable to a lot of fans. I'm surprised how many, actually, since I became more vocal about this. I've got a... The the pushback is always, like, really easy to dismiss and kind of dumb, honestly. But a lot of of people sort of in support of the idea that that United should not be a vehicle for sports washing. That was a ramble, wasn't it? Right, but why? But so, but what? Why? Where? So, where are we? Because I'm thinking with the, with the polluting, with the polluting, like how? I yeah, think yeah. the other question is how bad are we saying Jim Ratcliffe is? Yeah, well, I mean, they they they're a petrochemicals company. Their whole reason for being is to take fossil fuels out of the ground and turn it into something else. Right? So, <laughs> yeah, not not the good kind of recycling. So, that, yeah, they're. Ineos's products are in many, many things that you own, almost certainly. Right? They, they produce a lot of plastics, they produce a lot of chemicals, they're uh, used in industry, the oil's a secondary product in all of those things, they're refining plants. They, as I said, their, their plant in Scotland is said to be the biggest polluter in Scotland of any business. That's probably true in other countries they live in as well. They, sorry, they, they are present in, which is a lot. So they, they had a horrible fire at their Texas plant. They've been accused of not respecting worker and union rights. So this is not a good company, but it's not a purity test, I don't think. But it's not, it's not a brilliant company. I, as I said, I, I'm going to get some people on to talk about that in more depth. But it's, I, I don't think we should be like run, walking behind banners of Jim Ratcliffe and have posters of Jim Ratcliffe in the Stretford Ends and some kind of uh, hagiography uh, lionising him. Like, we don't have to do that. I think it's okay to talk about what he is. He's a Tory and a Brexiter. And and the thing that seems to piss people off most about him (laughs) is that he had a Chelsea season ticket at some point. I don't know why he had a Chelsea season ticket. I think he lived in West London at some point and he probably used it to entertain people or whatever. So anyway, not a great guy. But but it's but there well, are levels. Literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There so, are levels. Okay. So I guess what I'm really driving at is and I'm not even asking you this, so I I'm probably asking myself this. If it's Ratcliffe and not Cata, is yeah. Ratcliffe not appalling enough that I would then go back to Old Trafford? 
Yeah, I don't think he's appalling enough, but but other people would have a different view of that. People who are climate activists, probably this is an existential crisis and we're killing the planet and he's at the forefront of doing that killing, right? So and I can't not say... About... It's not about activism, is it? Then I think of I'm not we're not climate activists, but do we agree with the climate activists? I mean, yes. I mean, the science says right. that we're warming the planet and these guys are, are, are a part of warming the planet. I'm not saying that they're not, definitely not the only people. I mean, Western capitalism is the driver behind this, right? But these, these are the epitome of Western capitalism. We exploit resources and people in order to make tons of money. <laughs> well, it's time to be alive. I mean, I, I know, guess it's good. weather's it's not good. been like this, in fairness. Oh, yeah, true. So, uh, right, but then, and I guess, so but what I'm saying is, not being a climate activist doesn't feel, to me, when I'm thinking about what I might do, it doesn't feel relevant here. I'm not a climate activist because I'm something else. But yeah. the reason I'm not a climate activist isn't because I don't think the climate activists are right and pursuing a just cause. Because I think the thing that we also forget about with sometimes, I don't know, when we talk about the climate, isn't just in an indeterminate number of years, our grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren or whatever are going to get burned, die potentially, it's that between now and then, there's going to be some nasty shit going down. And the people that are going to suffer from that are the people yep. who are basically least well-placed to do anything about it, economically, Correct, socially, yeah. financially. It's going yep. to hurt. It's going to hurt people. It already is hurting people very severely. Yep. So, yeah, that. Is the th- that's no, no, the thing- that's, that's, all, that's all correct. And I think we do have to have that in mind. And again, we don't have to have banners and walk behind the banner of Jim Ratcliffe when protesting, right? We don't need to do that. It's like we've had a long list of owners, some of whom are better than others at Manchester United. I think the Glazers have been particularly shitty and incompetent and mostly incompetent. And And, and what we're hoping with Ratcliffe is... Okay, not a great guy. Don't agree with his politics. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure there's some listeners who do. And well, they often drop into my DMs and tell me they they do not agree with my political positions and can't I just shut up and dribble sort of thing. (laughs) (laughs) On on United Rewind, we were followed by a Tory MP, Robert Halford. Not for long, I blocked him. (laughs) (laughs) I said to the producer and to the rock smile who I was doing it with are we having this? No. Having this? <laughs> no, like you don't get to enjoy the stuff that we're trying to do when you're trying to make life more miserable for the most vulnerable people in society. Ain't going yeah. out like that. It's like we're still um, memorably. But stuff. look, what we will get with Ratcliffe is, I mean, we, we will get access to resources and, and there's no reason why investment won't be made in, in the stadium. Taking the leverage off United's asset means there's something else to leverage against. And probably that will be the way, unless he just wants to stick a billion to two billion of his own personal cash into into building a new stadium, which I suspect won't be the case, right? We're going to get somewhere with deeper pockets anyway than the Glazers and access to more finance than the Glazers to move the club forward. We don't know that he's co- him and, and the NR sports group are competent. Uh, we don't have a lot of evidence. I mean, it's not like OGC Nice are doing very well at the moment. They're not. Really, but then we don't uh, have any evidence, really, that Captain know what they're doing either. We, no, that's right. And and Paris Saint Germain fans are running up some very healthy protests at the moment, including saying you're not they're one so of us. They're so good at don't protesting. Us. They're very good. The fr- very good. The, fr- yeah. the French are so good at this shit. We're so crap at this shit in this country. I, I know it's like poll tax yeah, is really. basically the last time. Really, it feels like. I mean, maybe the Super League actually, but apart from that, well, yeah. apart, yeah. apart from that, apart from that, the poll tax feels like the last time there was proper 
proper dissent that yeah, dissent for enough such that something happened as a consequence. Some change. Well, people forget when there is protest and it's active and there's active, active activism. Sorry, that's not a word, is it? But it, it really can force change. Paul Taxmo certainly did. The Tory government backed down then. Oh, Younger you know people, what? We had the just Google it or I chat GPT. Oh, we had riots in Brixton and Toxteth and uh, no, no, slowly, I was talking. Uh, I'm talking more recently than that. The, those the riots that that summer, right. In, I mean, started in London about after Mark Doug about Mark, Mark right. Duggan was by the police. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that that definitely didn't change anything. I mean, that just ended up with a whole load of people getting obscene sentences for like pinching a bottle yeah. of water from Woolworths or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, activism does work. I mean, I don't know that Super League protests where United fans broke in and got a game cancelled actually did have much of a difference in the end. There were a few more fan forums. Joel turned up at a couple of them, but the promise of investment in the training ground in Old Trafford never happened. They put a lick of the wrong colour paint on Old Trafford, talking about Liverpool bright red rather than United deep red. So it, it sort of made a change, got Super League cancelled, but uh, but didn't force a change in the Glazers' ownership. So anyway, you know, what, what do we... we so the we'll way get I... something different with Ratcliffe, that's for sure. It'll be different. We just don't know it's competent. So the way I guess I'm trying to work it out in my head is that the reason why I stopped going to Old Trafford after the Glazers took over was not a judgment on the Glazers as people. It was a judgment on what they were doing, that I'm not giving them my, what they're doing is wrong. My buy, using our money to buy United to make loads of money for themselves. I'm not paying my own money for that. Whereas that won't be the case with Ratcliffe. He's not looking to skank our money. No. And it feels like, and it feels like the Katza thing is, as you as you explained earlier, like there's the moral issue of the human rights, but there's also just simply the principle of United being used as a pawn in just to satisfy geopolitical aims, which is obviously far more nefarious than an old man having one last wang. Absolutely, it's much better put and more succinctly than if he can get it up, of course which at his age is no guarantee. So. Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, what that, we will get with Radcliffe at some so, point... That's a sobering thought. <laughs> yeah, it's coming for you. Yeah, no, I was going to say something then, but I, I think I will not. But <laughs> I don't take the blue bill, folks. <laughs> not yet, anyway. But 40-odd years old, it's uh, dear, dear me. Oh, getting old sucks, doesn't it? One thing we do have to think about with Radcliffe at his age is that who knows how long he actually wants to own the club, right? Because at some point... If he drops dead, it will go into the hands of the other Ineos shareholders, who are presumably some of his family members, plus his two co-founders, plus some on the the market. So we don't know the status then. Or he could do the good thing and, like, when he dies, give it to the fans in a trust or something like that. I don't suspect that will be true. But, hey, we could we could pressure and see see whether that then could be an outcome. But I but agree, at, though. At some point, the United could get sold again. That's, I agree that that's a big question for Radcliffe is what yeah. happens when you cark. Because yeah. there will be a provision and neither option that looks obvious is a good one, either up for yeah. sale again. And by the time that happens, the only people that are going to be able to afford this are nation states like Qatar, mm-hmm. probably. Or it goes to Ineos. Excuse yeah. me? Yeah. Also, also odd. So... Yeah, I, I think that it's really important that someone asks Ratcliffe that question. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's right. And he's not given a lot of interviews. They do have NDAs in place, apparently, with the Glazers. So I think that's part of the reason it's all coming out in leaks rather than rather than actual interviews. But people talking about their position. At some point, Ratcliffe will give an interview if he closes his deal. And I hope he outlines his ambitions. And that is one of the big questions. What happens when he drops dead? I mean, we're seeing that Southampton, right? So Lee Pair dropped dead, passed it on to his wife, who wasn't quite as... Well, um, death. Yeah. Yeah. Contagious. Was it? Was it? Did, didn't want to, didn't want to run the club in the same way. Sold it on to to owners who basically sold off all the assets and and they're going down, right? So Do you think she was waiting for it to happen? Don't when know. he's gone, I'm going to absolutely smash up Southampton. Yeah, yeah. I hated this project. I'm going to destroy them. She comes well, out as a secret Portsmouth, Portsmouth fan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She used to Katerina, six, five, Katerina Liebherr, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So look, is a question. The, the questions around Ratcliffe, I think, are justified. I, I think I think it's the ones that you see on the internet most that are not the right questions. You should ask about, are they greenwashing? Does greenwashing exist? Are they doing that? Do we care about the environment and their impact? And, and should we ask questions about that, about his like the investment in the club and about the future? Those are the questions. The questions around leverage for the takeover and or investment in the stadium i think are less important exactly how that's structured and especially like the glazers owning 20 percent of the shares or whatever as long as they're class a shares and they're not have these huge voting rights that will be negotiable then yeah it's probably the best of a bad bunch i mean what did we had we had a nation state we had Ineos, and we had carlisle group and elliot elliot being the worst of all of these for sure as minority potential minorities buying out the Glazer siblings with no guarantee more investment would be made in the club at all, right? These are all really bad options. And I think we probably, <laughs> if this closes like this, and I think it still is an if, we got the best of a bad bunch. By far. So The difference, for me personally, for any option versus any kind of state ownership is, yeah, is massive. Because yeah. even if we, even if it's even if it's a different state, I mean, all states obviously do dreadful shit. But yeah. even if it's a state that doesn't have the, isn't built on the same kind of abuses currently that's going that's going on in Qatar, it's still a state. And still a state still, with state that, goals. You're still a political pawn for them. You're a you're a tool for their foreign policy. Yeah, it's really bad. I mean, if the UK government wanted to buy United, UK government's done some really nasty shit, by the way, not that I really need to say that, but I'm just saying it because it's the thing that I get the most common pushback, right? If they wanted to buy United, I'd have the same position. Like, I mean, it just doesn't tend to happen in a democracy that the, I mean, the things like World Cups and, and Olympics have a political, political dimension to them for sure, uh, undoubtedly, uh, more or less, depending on the the, the, the venues, the Country that's hosting. I mean, the, no, I mean, uh, the London Olympics. Boris Johnson made political capital out of that. Even he did. Basically, he did. fucking nothing to do with him. He had nothing to do with him, but he did try to make. And it will happen in the US in the 2026 World Cup. Politicians will get involved. It's not different there. It's a commercial thing with with most US sports. But I'm not saying it's not a factor. So any any state actor in football, I think, is a cancer on the game. I think it's extremely distorting, as we've seen with City, PSG, and we will see with Newcastle. And behind the scenes, it's about, as I said before, co-opting institutions. I just think it's a bad thing for football and a very bad thing for United. And it was a shame in this process that you get a lot of flag wavers 
who didn't really think about any of the, or do, all they saw were dollar signs and pound signs and a route to quick success through piles of money and, and the consequences of selling out what it meant to be United and a United fan, because it's very different, right? I think we're just too great for me. So I'm, again, I'm, I'm saying if all the time here, because this is not closed for sure. We we believe, but is not being pub- made public that Ineos are the preferred bidder here, which means it gets down to negotiations on the fine detail. And so there's lots of ifs still here. But uh, if it closed, it's, it's going to be a big relief for me personally. I, it's just a shitty, shitty as Ratcliffe may be, all the things we've outlined, it's better than the Glazers. And it gives the chance to, for the club to reset and move forward. I think one more thing about the Glazers. I, can, I, do, I, I don't want to seem like I don't understand the whole full sale thing. I too have had enough of Glazers. As I said, I, st- I had three season tickets in my family. Stop, but I don't have them anymore. And yeah. so that's had a knock-on effect. I've been on my ability to get tickets for away games. Don't have a ticket for the final. Currently, yeah. it's coming up. I have, haven't missed one of those in quite a long time. Yeah, lucky yeah. in the intervening years. I have a lot of animus for the Glazers. I hated the way it fractured our support, how people who've been going for decades missed arguably Fergie's greatest team. I feel yeah. still pissed off about that now. Pissed off for myself, pissed off for everyone else who missed it and people who stopped going altogether who've been going a lot longer than I had. So it's, and I, I do understand that there's an emotional aspect to getting the Glazers out, that it would mark a clean break. It would mark the end of this fucking dreadful situation. Yeah. But for me, the, the emotional getting rid of the Glazers totally doesn't operate on me in the same way the emotional aspect of United being owned by human rights abusing state yeah. forever, forever and ever and ever. Yeah. Is yeah, like it I can it's I can no, make, it's nine day, yeah. I can make the compromise with the Glazers and Ratcliffe much more easily than than that, which yeah, yeah. that that's one thing is about football, really. And, and me and my and the other thing is about things that are much more important than football. Yeah. And I'm not prepared personally to sacrifice or compromise what I believe in stuff yeah. that is more important than football for the football. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and the other and thing also, we've seen in this, yeah. Go ahead. And, and, sorry, just to, uh, to finish the point. And also that just, what is, what's the point of winning, right? Number one, think about when, when you're not sure. winning everything, when you're not winning everything in sight, if you said to me, what are the greatest league, what's, the league titles that United won under Fergie, the 13 of those, which ones do you love the most? It's a really, really easy answer. 93, mm-hmm. 96, mm-hmm. 99, 03, mm-hmm. and 07, and 13. Why? Mm. Because the year it came after the losing the title one, yeah. after losing the title the year before. It's yeah. all I don't right, want yeah. I don't want United to win everything all the time. Because it's not it's not enjoyable in the same way. I want I want it to be a contest. And when it happens, I want it to mean, I want it to mean something. I don't mm-hmm. want it to mean we've got the richest state. Yeah. We, I mean, I know that United cashed in on basically getting good at the start of the silly money in football, and they cashed in commercially. But there were other clubs that were, that were outspending them at periods during that time. And in some ways, I'm even more attached to what Fergie did towards the end because of the, the financial restrictions. That sort of, although it was his own fault, that sort of made his achievement as a manager worth even more that he was doing yeah. that. And and if you look at even what Liverpool did to win the league, that's a ridiculous achievement. 
I hate to say it, obviously, but taking a league off that City team, I know they still spent a lot of money, but they also spent not a lot of money buying some brilliant players. And, and yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's, a, that's a much more significant achievement to me than everything I fully agree, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I fully agree. What does it mean? I mean, I know City fans, like, they they attend the stadium and they enjoy it and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not taking it off them, right? But, but like, dig a bit deeper. What does it really mean when you're... You're a fantasy team league for uh, human rights abusers. And and by the way, you, like not that I'm ranking abusers, the UAE is much worse than Qatar, and Qatar's bad, right? So when it comes to uh, abusive states, right? What does it mean? Like you're, you're there to for the glory of the state, ultimately. And you can kind of compartmentalise and pretend that that's not happening, and... which City fans do, and Newcastle fans do, but that's what you are. And also you're just manipulating the game for that purpose it's not it's not even just that that like the glory doesn't feel like it's yours because you're someone else's pawn is also that if you spend enough money you like not always but in football if you spend enough money you always you'll win psg haven't won the european cup yet but and city haven't won it yet either but on a yearly basis those teams are dominating their leagues and yep there's only one reason why they're doing that. There's good things that happen after that. Same way that Eddie Howe's done a good job at Newcastle, but there's still that one thing that without it, there'd be nothing. And and it, and it's it's the money. It's the fact that you can spend money that other teams can't compete with. You can afford the best lawyers to cover up anything that might that you might maybe you shouldn't be doing. And then it just becomes this whole structure. And it doesn't at that point it just it doesn't matter how good the football is because obviously when you've got this all these things put towards making the football good, you'll make the football good. But if you think about the Fergie teams, I remember like buzzing off Fergie's fledglings when who weren't any good at all when you just who like, weren't actually that good, yeah. Who weren't yeah. any good at all when you're watching the class of ninety two come through, when all that stuff means something because it feels like there's a moral worth to it, trying to do the right thing. And City is just, it's just not, it isn't that. Yeah. What well, I mean, one other point to make, and I think it's an important point, the difference between City and Paris Saint-Germain is around competence of ownership. City have very clearly got it right. They do get most purchases right. They've put the structure in place very, very early. Yes, they've cheated on the financial fair play, or at least uh, accused by the FA on 117 different counts, I think it is. I can't remember. It's over 100 anyway. Same with Paris Saint-Germain as well. But the difference between the two of them is that the, the competency of the ownership was clearly much higher with with City. It's a big question for the future of United. I mean, is Dave Brailsford going to parachute in and start telling... John Murta and and all the football people at United how to run things. We don't know. I mean, it's certainly been an accusation. So, like, there are things coming up that will be big questions. It, the competency of ownership really does matter, but but at least it's just your average shitty billionaire and not an abusive monarchy. <laughs> so it's just a completely different thing. That was good. That was fun. Enjoyed that. United beat Wolves. Did you enjoy that? 
it's funny. At some point, it felt really like Van Gaal ball to me. And then Scott from the Republican Mancunia sent me the stats, and it was like twenty-seven shots on target. I was like, it didn't feel like that. It felt like I, they were passing the ball sideways a lot. When they showed the stats at half time, I think it was, and I thought, really, like Wolves had had one shot, and you know, I don't know that's yeah. fifteen or something. And yeah, I yeah. too, it didn't feel exactly like the game I thought I'd watched because the, we weren't getting that close to scoring, but. One thing I did think, I, I was watching it, and I said to a mate that we can't sustain the attacks. That's a really simple concept, I think. Even though if it's a cancer, the concept of football, it's a phrase Fergie liked to use, and I remember Rune liked using it as well, where you ring fence the opponent's penalty box, basically. So one attack doesn't work, and you get another one, another one. And since Fergie, United have really, really, really struggled with that. And mm. they're not doing they're not doing it great here either with but then i said to a friend need to sustain your tax can't sustain your tax and then three attacks in a row goal and it yeah. reminded me a bit it was a bit like when england were good at cricket under andy flower and they had that thing of bowling dry it's sort of the the right. diametrical as the opposite of it in terms of style but yeah you do this this and this you've got four or five maidens yeah. in a row you'll get a wicket yeah. And got, and do you think United's counterpress isn't particularly good? And and so that's it's the same thing, right? So when United lose the ball in an attacking situation, often it's only Bruno doing the press on his own. The single he should be the trigger for three others to to dive in, and get the ball back, and do it again. And that's not often. That's not always the case. Yeah, I, I don't know. It just felt kind of slow yesterday, and maybe it had that kind of end of season feeling where things that. United are running out of steam, and maybe that's just it, right? And 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 they weren't very dynamic up front with Anthony Sancho and Martial. Not much speed there. Martial's lost something, I think, even though he scored the goal. Uh, it's it's just it was a bit slow. They did it have a lot of shots, wolves. but it was also Wolves. And Wolves seem to have a knack of since they got promoted five years ago. Of I think this is the first time we've had a, a win by two clear goals. Right against Wolves in the in five years, a lot of very tight games. Did you so, know I, that before yesterday we scored eight goals in ten league games, which is was wow. the fewest in the league. That's pretty appalling. Yeah, United's xG versus actual goals is like eight goals underwater compared to City are six plus sixteen. Right, so I mean it's simplistic, but just look at and Arsenal are plus twelve or thirteen or something on there. Arsenal losing goals. to Brighton as we record now incidentally. Pretty much be the league done if that's the case. But that like it, it doesn't translate exactly into the points difference, but it's a lot of it. It's a lot of it. I mean United's inability to finish your chances. Bruno's expected assists are double his actual assists. It's it, like number nine <laughs> <laughs> it's screaming out for it. And yesterday I was screaming that as well. Even though United's XG was nearly three and 27 shots or whatever it was, it, it didn't quite feel like that for a lot of I, the game. I thought that, I, I, I think Anthony, I still think that Anthony is going to be a player. I think what, so, yeah. What I liked yeah, about yeah. him yesterday was that he was trying to score. I mean, I know people occasionally get pissed off with him when he tries to shoot, but there is a value in not being scared to try and do the thing that you're meant to do. Right. Because Sancho, I feel like, doesn't do that enough. Like, always, always one more. Like, he's one all, more always pass, feel yeah. like he's looking for the perfect angle. He's a good finisher as well, Sancho. Yeah, he is. So. He's a good, he's a good player. He just, he just lacks the thing, the thing that isn't technical. He just lacks all the, he has all the technical stuff and not very much of the other stuff. 
And as as Carl Anker would say, he ain't got that dog in him. So there's there's something there's something missing with Sancho, and it's it's really I'm really anyway I've said I've said it before. I'm I'm just really surprised. I really thought he'd translate a lot of lot of what he did in the Bundesliga to England, but yeah, seems to lack some intensity, which Garnacho does not. I mean, the the boys got levels and uh, they're very high, and also he just he just impacts games constantly, all, doesn't all the he? Time. What I loved about his goal yesterday was he was in total control of the situation at every stage. Yeah. Where I don't know if he knew what he was going to do, but as he was doing the stuff, because maybe it's just instinctive, as he was, because they have players have their particular routines from that kind of position, but the involvement mm-hmm. of the defender meant that he needed to get rid of the defender. So it felt like what he was doing was not what he does in that situation. It was improvised. But there's such, there's such a, a calm, definitive nature to the way that he goes about finishing off moves like that. And just every point it was in hand and it was calm and it was fucking fast. And and Val Veghorst was there running towards the corner flag, asking for the ball as well. And I just thought, like, great. Just didn't pass to him. No way, That's exactly. That was what I always used to think. And people won't thank me for saying this, but obviously different levels. But when when Park played for United... He had great movement, but taking men away, but I always wanted the ball to go the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it felt like, yeah, whoever was going to be on the other wing was a better technical player than he was. And that isn't, just to be, I don't understand what Park did and all the players like playing with him and all the rest of it. I always felt like that level United team was at, even for all Park's virtues, not having a better player than him playing, I used to find quite irritating. Uh, yes, well, 2012 in particular, where he played against City and should never have done in that where Vincent Company scored the winner and it pretty much turned the tide of the title. So still haven't forgiven, forgiven Fergie for that one. Forgiven, mm-hmm. forgiven him for most things. It's 10 but, years since he left. So. But also on Garnacho, I think we haven't really talked so much and people haven't really noticed like what a miss it has been not having him. Because although he doesn't start a lot of games and... He just when he got injured, he had. I think he just just after he had his best game in which he started. But also, he's got United out of the shit a few times. Yeah, and they haven't had. And every time that they've been in the shit recently, and you've looked on the bench and thought Sancho, Vegas, Martial, you know that that is unlikely. And much as we sort of criticised Ten Hag substitutions recently, he's not had loads to work with. Suddenly, he's got this kid and he's electric mm-hmm. and he's done it so frequently given the amount of games he'd have and this is what back to what i was saying about the cup final i would be extremely tempted to start him in the cup final and see if stone's fancy is going into midfield then yeah yeah well that's yeah that's right complete different dimension very very direct Obviously, you can play the ball. The through ball has happened against Wolves as well to him because he's quick, quick over twenty yards, and a very good finisher. Just very, very mature on the pitch. So, yeah, ex- excellent option for United now, and and yeah, really killed off Wolves yesterday with that goal because he was getting a bit nervy, wasn't it? I mean, it's one nil, and you're like, at one nil, are United going to fuck this again as they did against Sevilla and Tottenham? I mean, it, even though Wolves weren't very good yesterday and it really looked like scoring it just takes one doesn't it when you're yeah only the one up so 
It's, it, was, it was nervy because it was 1-0, not because of anything that really was happening in the game that suggested anything yeah. was going to happen. They Wolves had that. They had a bit, a little period, was it like start towards sort of around start of the second half, around the hour mark, before you, where I was surprised that we didn't bring Fred on sooner for Ericsson. And Fred was excellent when he came on, actually. He re- he, it was just, it's very rare you see that kind of Fred cameo. You see, sure. like, some of some of the worst you've ever seen, but but I thought he, I thought he played well when he came on. But other than that, Wolves didn't look like they were going to score, which reminds me that Varane back, yeah, 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 felt that... made made a big difference. He just he just knows where to be, and he's so dominant in the air. Yeah, he it, yeah. Not only having the the quality in defence, also shifting Luke Shaw out to the left left back helps a we lot. Missed him there the as well. Yeah, yeah. missed him there going forward. And I know that Tenaf loves a left-right right foot combination, but it's much more important to forego that and get Shaw back at left-back. And I think that this is the best combination of back four. You could play Shaw and Varane, but I think that any left-back, what you lost by not having Shaw there, would be off. Yeah. yeah, putting Shaw into the middle, that doesn't seem like the right balance to me. But then, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking... About Lindelof getting ragdolled by Haaland, and then I'm thinking, I mean, it could, <laughs> could be anyone getting ragdolled by Haaland. To be could, honest, but sure, yeah, sure. The physical strong, match, the yeah, the sure, strong match and is, physical. Yeah. He's strong and actually yeah. enjoyed some. He's starting to really enjoy the ruckus. Luke Shaw, he's yeah. endearing, in quite an endearing, heartwarming manner. But yeah, Lindelof against Haaland sounds suboptimal, but definitely for a game like that, sure, left back for Anna Lindelof looks like the best the best that we can do. And there was only one real moment of Varane where Wolves went down the left in the first half. They crossed and he was just there in the right place to turn it away. And and he's good in the air. So, yeah, yeah. I'm not surprised he came straight back into the team. And he's only got a few games to not injure himself in now. Although, <laughs> subbing him with 10 to go to being on, bring on Maguire. I, I know. I, I don't know. No about good can that. come of that. Actually, Harry, he he made a couple of good clearances. Maguire did. He, he and he didn't screw anything up, which was a bonus. Oh my god, that's like Annette Benning in American Beauty, where she goes to watch her, her daughter's play, and she says afterwards, "Yeah, oh my darling, you didn't screw up once." <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> but I understand bringing Maguire on, but Brand's a centre back, so they don't do that much running anyway. And I understand yeah. if you're saying he can't last a full game. I don't understand if you're saying he can last 80, 80 but he can't last 90 plus last 60 90. or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Wolves didn't look like they were going to score. So really, the only way you feel they might score is they toss a set piece in there. And he's so good yeah. in the air. It just, I mean, yeah, maybe he felt something. But it did seem a strange time to take him off. I don't know. But Yeah, I didn't see him, I didn't see him calling for the sub. And it didn't look like he was injured, but, you know... Touch wood. I guess they were just being super, super, super precautionary. Wrapping in cotton wool for that cup final. Anyway, it like, turned out a routine win. Important win because United only need two more now. Need two from Fulham and Chelsea and Bournemouth. Right? So Fulham at home, Chelsea at home. Bournemouth away is the next one. You would imagine United can get two wins from, two wins from these three games. I always say this. I'm quite pleased they have to play under some pressure in some ways, because that it helps you develop as a team. And if you show that you can win it, that you can do it, then that's helpful. But obviously the reason why they have to play under pressure is because pressure has fucked them in some way. In other situations, 
But yeah, like I guess you can envisage a situation where they don't beat Bournemouth. You can envisage a situation where Chelsea, who have great, excellent players, one of them has a good day and they make it difficult against United in a way that they won't do for Forest or whatever. But provided they're going into that game and knowing that a winning that final game a win against Fulham is enough, that would be fine. I, I would expect them to deal with it from there. Yeah, and I mean it is helpful that they've they've uh, they managed to get a week a midweek off first time since September. Incredibly, and that was before the game against Wolves, and they've got another midweek off before the game against Bournemouth. Then it's Thursday in Chelsea and Sunday. I think it's a, is it Saturday or the Sunday for the film game? I think it's the Sunday. Sunday, always on Sunday. Yeah. Right. So, but that's at home, Fulham, and Fulham will have nothing to play for. So it feels like Bournemouth one's pretty critical. I mean, it, it's it would be ideal if United were not going into that final game against Fulham having to win. But if we do have to win, I kind of put the odds heavily in our favour to do that. Now, but a week off before Bournemouth, few, quite a few tired legs. That's going to be really important. He gave them a couple of days off, didn't he? Ten Hag last week. I think that probably made a difference. It still felt a bit leggy this game. That's it. They, it wasn't like they started and they were fl- and they were flying. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, it's just they've lost. They don't seem to have enough energy in midfield, and part of it is Casemiro's. And Ericsson are getting the ball in less good situations less quickly because there's no Martinez, who I actually think we're missing more as a playmaker than as a defender. Because Lindelof's not a dread, Lindelof and Shaw aren't dreadful defenders by any stretch. They're just, they're obviously not as good as Martinez, but it's more what Martinez the, gives that is a massive ball, difference yeah. on the ball yeah. between Martinez and Lindelof. Speed that he moves the ball, it, it does make a difference in in where the positions and when and the timing of getting the ball. Actually, Wolves had more possession than United in that first half. And I mean, in recent weeks, Casemiro started to look his age. It was a concern. I, he may well play, even with his biggest with the number of suspensions he's had, the most games in the season he's ever played. I think I was looking. I think I'm right in saying that. And and he's he kind of looked like it. And Eriksson can't last more than an hour before he flags, which is a massive concern, obviously. So, because you have Fred and you don't know which Fred you're going to get when he comes on. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we must sign a midfield player in the summer. And I think ideally, I mean, it needs to it needs to be someone. If you could find a player who would get into your first team ahead of Ericsson, who would then succeed Casemiro, like he could, it might that that might be the kind of player you're looking for. I guess I keep saying this. It depends how good Tenach thinks Iqbal and uh, Maynard are going to be, and how yeah. quickly he thinks they might be available to to play a proper part if they are indeed good enough. It seems yeah. like I, my guess is that he thinks they are. Just the way you see him talking about Maynard, like and to him on the pitch, and he's been the, trading with the first team all after, season, basically. After, yeah. yeah, after the League Cup final, and also that they're bothering to teach Iqbal a different position. Yeah, makes me think that they think those 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 two can be players, but I guess if they're two years away, it's not very helpful. At this point. No, that's and right. You do, and you do need to do something about it, and then worry about them subsequently. But if they're less than that away, then you want to make sure there's a pathway there for them. Very good. Bournemouth next weekend. You know, you're going to win this one. Bournemouth crap. Oh my god, I've said that so many times over the last I decade. I mean, the thing is, they're not that crap. <laughs> 
they they they're not so bad that they're going to go down they are safe but yeah, it's not a particularly impressive team and you know, have to win it's just the record away from home is so bad you just don't trust them you don't trust them on the road but surely surely when it really matters they're not going to blow it no no i i, I don't think we're going to blow that but i watched i watched leicester against fulham the other day and leicester aren't getting anything off liverpool no abs i, I the thing about Leicester, because I had that just that thing in my mind that Leicester ultimately do have a few good players, but the the way that they defend is just unbearable. <laughs> and yeah, they get, there's much more chance they get a hiding than they than they yeah. get a favour. Because I think uh, if Liverpool sure. were to drop points in one more game, then we would basically be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, you like. It, it doesn't seem like a Liverpool side that should win 11 on the trot, but they've won seven on the trot now, or whatever, six on the trot. They are going to beat Leicester. Leicester are terrible. On which point? Uh, so, Newcastle have harder games than we do to finish off. Yeah. And I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure they're going to win all their three games. They've got to play, what, Brighton, who are beating Arsenal right now. And yeah. Top and top. Leicester. Don't they have Leicester as well? Can't remember now. Yeah, Leicester and Chelsea. Oh, Chelsea, right, and Leicester and Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. So, wish they could drop points in. Who knows? Yeah, Chelsea, Chelsea. I'm not saying they're picking up in form, but they've had a couple of wins recently, haven't they? All right, folks. I think that's it. It's a long one, but thanks for sticking with it and ranting about the ownership. We might be near the end of that one, and we're near the end of the season. We can all have a rest over the summer. So, all yeah. right. Catch you later, folks. Please. No question about that. It's supported by you, our listeners, through patreon.com forward slash NQAT pod, where you can get access to our weekly ad-free bonus episode talking about football around the Premier League and Europe. All right, this is the back of this content. We're going to talk about Champions League games, a tournament in which United hopefully are going to be participating next year. It's unbelievable. United's got to spend billion pounds in the last 10 years and have the, well, if not the biggest wage budget in the country, then maybe the second and uh, not regular participants in this tournament. But uh, anyway, it was Real Madrid, City 1-1 at the Bernabeu and Milan Inter, uh, 2-0 to Inter, uh, San Siro. Both pretty entertaining games, I thought. So I, I'm surprised Inter beat Milan. Not as surprised as I was the fucking Henry Mkhitaryan's guy. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he does like That's Europe. He was brilliant that year in, in the UEFA Cup. That's that right. season that we won it. That's right. But one of those players, there are very few United players I have seen play who I have found it easier to forget her on the pitch. Yeah, yeah. I know. And there was a lot of excitement when he came. So there's something was about the relationship between Dortmund and United doesn't quite work out, does it? But... I mean, I thought, yeah, he had like pace, play off both wings, use both feet, skill, just look. Also, yeah, it's not like he's played in a, like seen some, yeah, he's like come from the cold. He's not going to be like a Southern European, then he, that kind of <laughs> Southern European moaning about stuff, like, like the weather in Manchester or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not getting that, that Di Maria situation. No, he just wasn't very good, it turned out. But uh, but did score in this one. 
and Inter just started really, really quickly. I mean, they're not particularly good sides. I think that's a part of the you know, Napoli got done playing probably two of their poorest performances of the season against Milan in that quarterfinal. They are a much better side. They wrapped up the Serie A this week. Incredible scenes in in Naples. It's just, yeah, yeah, brilliant, brilliant for them. And just a much better team than either of these sides and would have given City or Real a, a decent decent game in the final. As it, as it happens, I don't think Inter or Milan will do. They're not particularly good. It's, I mean, if, I mean, Inter, I guess, have more firepower. The Kaki scored a brilliant goal last night. Right. But if you it. think they've yeah. got Lukaku, who, I, yeah, I mean, the European Cup final doesn't really sound like his kind of situation. He's more like I mean, a, he's been on the bench a lot Charl- recently. Charl- the home yeah, yeah. guy. Is there a flat, right? Yeah, yeah. Which, he, which he quite useful. Yeah. I mean, Ronaldo was the flattest track really ever. Yeah. It was, it was helpful, but Ataro is a, is a good player. Barella is a good player. Yeah. So... And they've got some defenders, so it is yeah. possible. But I think they've got a better chance than Milan do. But yeah, it's it not, is, it's not it a particularly is. good Milan side. They were without Rafael Liao, who's obviously an excellent, a really excellent player coming off the left. So they've got a good goalkeeper as well, Milan. Mainland in is Mainland, a, yeah, a good yeah, yeah. But I think that I mean you're, you're right what you say about Napoli. It just they. If that match happened, I think, just when they basically played their best football of the season, yeah. they were trying to get over the line. They're just, like, forcing their way over the line in the league, I mean. But, yeah, like, they they, they sort of shot, shot their bolt and they were just hanging on. And I'm not sure that they would have given City that much of a challenge because that's how... Because, just because I feel like they're in that sort of similar position to United. Well, obviously, they're much better than United, but where you could watch them play and think, yeah, like then you're not going to play this season as well as you've played earlier in the season. I guess it's felt a bit like that. Yeah. But, I mean, in a one-off game, way stranger things have happened. But I think Real Madrid feels like our best last hope at Babylon 5. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about that Real City game, which was, I mean, very high level. I mean, really high quality. It was an interesting kind of... I mean, Ancelotti, the great tactician, did have Real sitting back and just soaking up pressure for quite a lot of this game. Uh, but it never felt like they were being dominated by City at all, did it? And then Vinicius did his thing. Brilliant goal. He's been at, yeah, he's been really excellent this season, Vinicius. And, and it looked for a while that Real might get a win. Unexpected, perhaps. Uh, given that this is not a vintage Real side. It's obviously ageing in midfield. And yeah, it needn't to be yeah. because they could play Camavinga yeah, and Germany, Valverde. Yeah. I mean, Cam- Valverde and Germany. Yeah. yeah, but it doesn't seem like Ancelotti really fancies the Ayatollah Germany. <laughs> he does not. And... It's interesting because I mean they spent eighty million on him, which it was a huge fee, and he is a brilliant player. He's a really, he's a like, it's a great. It's, they used to say Roy Keane was two players in one: great defensive player, great attacking player, and there's some of that in Germany. He's definitely got the potential to do that. But yeah, he's not always in the team. I mean, Valverde's had a brilliant season as well, right? So, and, and Cruz and Modric, obviously, we know everything about them. And they've, they've kind of converted Camavinga for a lot of the season to left back, where he's done fine. He's a competent left back. He could be a very good midfielder. But yes, interesting that Ancelotti goes with his tried and trusted for the big game. And I mean, watching them in the Champions League last season, I mean, it felt that. I remember even the game against Chelsea where they somehow got out of that. 
But they only got out of it, really. Well, I can't remember who he brought. I think it was when he brought Camavinga on and someone else, maybe Lucas Vasquez even, just because they were getting run off the pitch for Chelsea. And it was only when he got rid of, I think he binned Casemiro and Kroos maybe or something. And it was only at that point they really got involved in that game against Chelsea. And it felt like it kept getting proved to him that, and then obviously he played that same midfield in the final and they won. So, because if you do that against City, Modric and Kroos, you're kind of trying to almost outdo them at what they do, but they've got players who are at their peak doing it. And yeah. It doesn't seem like it could work, but it almost did work in in the first leg, like you said. Yeah, almost. I mean, Modric, they both came off, didn't they, Cruz and Modric, during this game. They, Modric, I mean, it's incredible Modric is still going at his age. He signed another one-year contract as well with, with Real. I guess if you never had pace, then, it, as we said, we're sharing them, and then it makes it makes it less of an issue Yeah, and Harry Kane. It makes it less of an issue when you slow down. I think... The problem I found with Madrid last season when it looked like kept looking like they were going to lose was that they had Kroos and Modric and Casemiro. Yeah, yeah. And you could have one or maybe two, but all three together made it seem like, yeah, you made it made it a struggle for them and somehow they made yeah. it work anyway. Yeah, and, and Valverde's got a ton of energy as well as, I mean, yeah, he's got a ton of goals this season. He's a great player. And especially when he's playing in midfield and not purely out on the right, I think he's much more dangerous from from more central areas. But he gives the legs that that Cruz and Modric do not. Remember that Cruz Cruz was coming to United until Van Gaal yeah. stood up. Yeah, yeah, it's just like what an obscene piece of behaviour that was. Uh-huh. That man did more damage to United than any of the post Fergie managers. When you look at what he did, he he been Johnny Evans for fuck all. And mm-hmm. bought Rocco, who obviously will always have the toast. Yeah. Charging into his dressing room with his top hanging off. But forget about how good he was. He's never fit. Yeah. So a total load of bollocks that. Like he's one of United's bang for buck, one of United's worst ever signings. I would who say. Who did we Rocco. get under Van Hall? We got Schweinsteiger, we got who was the Schneiderlin, Schneiderlin who's fucking useless. Rocco. Then they swapped, got rid of Darmian. got rid of Raphael. Got rid of Raphael to get Damian. Yeah. Got rid of Hernandez and Welbeck to get Falcao. Yeah. It was just absolutely rotten behaviour. And instead of getting Kroos, he he bought... Yeah, instead of getting Kroos, he got Moyes, fucking Moyes, who ruined that deal for Thiago, then went and redeemed himself by getting getting Kroos. And then Van Gaal decides he wants Ander Herrera. What are you talking about, man? I know. I mean, this is what I was saying on the, the main show earlier about competence, right? It really matters. I mean, and, and look at Spurs right now. Two or three bad windows and you fuck yourself for a decade. And yeah. United have managed to do that over and over and over again for the last 10 years. Just look at United's record on transfers. It's just, I mean, uh, we can say of the last summer's transfers that Martinez definitely worked out. Ericsson mostly worked out, mostly Malaysia. No, Ericsson, def- Ericsson. I, 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 no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. He's, he's not good enough. He's, he's not good enough. Out, we got him. Yeah. yeah. We got him because he was free. Yeah. 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 So, Malaysia, uh, pretty uh, that, good. Uh, that level. So, so, it's been okay. Maybe now that United have a an actual football structure in place and it's delegated to them to make the decisions, at least you have accountability there when that happens, which never happened with, with the fucking old CEO who, like, Todd Bowley did it all over the place, thinking he was the the football director and the 
could make all the football decisions, which happened for years and years and years. Anyway, back to City. It, it is interesting, Guardiola. He's he he leaves out some of their best players over and over again, and I think it's I think he he looks for like real control, doesn't he, in these games? And yeah, I mean, I think we saw we saw who he left out today. So he left out De Bruyne, yeah, and then he took off Haaland yeah. and Gundogan, Gundogan. So and they take Haaland off both, all the time, and, they, and yeah. he left out Stone, and he left out Stones, yeah. So I mean, those, those, and he left out Grealish. Like yeah, that's yeah. his first team. Like, we know yeah, we yeah. more or less know what his first team is. It's Grealish now, not Foden. And it, it is Grealish because Grealish is better at keeping the ball. Foden wants to beat three men every time he gets it. He's he's that explosive player, and they only want one of those in the team. So it, it is it is interesting when it comes down to the choices that Guardiola makes. He, he always goes for more control of the ball, slowing the game down, which is they did quite effectively against Real. And and retaining control because you're less you're less at risk from transitions. You just once you've got the ball, you don't concede to you. So, and and if you've got players in the right positions, who are tactically aware, then then the risk of it's even lower. And yeah, but he do, he does it all the time. I mean, Foden's a brilliant player, but he's he's not a good fit in the team. Always, at least at least in games where they want to they want to control the ball. Although I don't see why he couldn't why he couldn't do that. In fairness. Well, I think he might only want one of Bernardo or Foden. So, Mares is sort of in that camp, although I think he's probably better on the ball. Yeah, yeah, Bernardo is the other one he left. So. Bernardo is the other one he left out. So, yeah, I'm sure yeah. Bernardo will be the other the other player who plays. Yeah, yeah. but but um, I think that the first time I saw Foden play was for an England age group team, and I immediately messaged the boys I go to United with saying, "Yeah, this guy's big, big trouble." Yeah. So he's someone I kind of felt that Guardiola was always buying room for. But I remember Ryan Giggs had a couple of seasons, sort of 95, 96, 96, 97, where, sorry, 94, 95, 95, 96, where I think he described it subsequently as where he was trying to become the perfect footballer. So he broke through just doing the thing that he did. And then he was so talented that he was, you start trying to think about the game, I think, and stop maybe doing the things he also had injuries around that time as Foden has that make you that made you that good before he sort of got his mojo back. So I don't know, maybe maybe there's a little bit of that about it. Mm. And I was thinking about this today when I was watching the City game and I was thinking, I wish Ryan Giggs had moved into midfield at his peak. And I know why he didn't obviously he was brilliant on the left. So mm-hmm. how do you move someone away from there? But maybe when he got a little bit older sort of and he stopped running flat out because Fergie always thought he'd play centre forward in the end. Yeah. And he wasn't a centre forward because he's not a half term player and his yeah, finishing yeah. wasn't good yeah. enough. Yeah. But but he has some brilliant games in midfield towards the end of his career. Because, yeah. because yeah, because the running with the ball, being able to beat two or three men in the middle of the pitch, and also his passing yeah. was incredible. And yeah. we sort of saw it in that Porto game in ninety seven and in the game when Keane got sent off for punching Fjordov ninety five, ninety six was that against right. Byra, where he went into midfield. But if he'd have moved into midfield sort of 2000, 2001, around then, then I think we might actually look back at him as an even greater player than he was. Mm. Because I, when he started playing there, he was when he was really old, he actually was better than I thought he could ever be in that position. Yeah. And that was when he was old and slow. Yeah. But if you've got younger, more dynamic gigs playing in there, and I think maybe that's, I don't know, yeah. When, when Fergie didn't play him there... Played him on the right in the 99 Cup final, Champions League final. 
he said afterwards that he he was just worried about the burstiness and losing the ball. And that's why he played Beckham in there. And Beckham stunk it up in centre midfield in that game. He just wasn't very good at all. And Giggs was stuck out on the right. I thought Beckham was one of our better players in that game. But I agree. The problem was, I thought, that United's most likely route to a goal at that point was a Beckham Beckham doing something to get the ball into York and Colt. Yeah. And by putting Beckham into the middle, you took that option away from you, really. Because what had happened, I think, this is a guess, by the way. So I felt that against Blackburn, Fergie sort of trialled the team he was hoping to play in, in the final, which had, I think, I think Gig, I think Blomqvist played on the left, I think, and Giggs and Phil Neville were in central midfield, mm. and Beckham was on the right, and I thought that was that was the team of that was what that was what he was thinking about doing. Obviously, Butler was going to play, but that was what he was thinking about doing. And then Beckham played in central midfield when Keane went off in the cup final, played well there, mm. and I think he so Fergie, Fergie changed his mind. But yeah, in retrospect, I think that either you play Beckham on the right and you just and and then Blomqvist on the left and Giggs in midfield makes more sense. But even if you play Beckham in the middle, I think I'd still have played Blomqvist on the right because I want Ryan Giggs on the left. I yeah. don't, want, don't want you. And he had an absolute stink of Blomqvist. He did, yeah. Anyway, the rest is history on that one, isn't it? <laughs> but, I, think, I think, yeah, that's, yeah. what happened there? And, yeah, and stuff, <laughs> right? no, no, I don't remember. I mean, there's a few clips around the last three minutes or something. City Rail, second leg, next week. Can Rail do it? The Etihad. I mean, they they can, but they, they won't. They can, they, they can, but they're definitely not favourites for this. Yeah, it's. I think they'll play fairly conservatively. I mean, I think that's what we've seen with this this version of Ancelotti's Real. They're they're I, not perfect in midfield anymore. I, ben Tamar is not as dynamic as he once was. So uh, he had a brilliant season last season, but not so much this year. You know. I mean, I think that. Yeah, both sides will like City will be will be scared, but they'll be bricking it, City, because they know this is another chance. They know that there's not much waiting for them in the final. They know that the league is almost done, that the treble is available to them. So yeah, like this is like this is like immortality for these idiots is is yeah. there for them. They will they will be nervous, and Madrid will not be as nervous because their legacy is cemented. They know what to do. And so that that gives them some level of some level of advantage because something that City don't have. But if yeah, I I I I can't I can't see it. I really really want to be able to see it, but City have just hit the vinegar strokes of the season. Just at the right really time good, with some really good form. Yeah, nice visualization and, there. And there's the title. Yeah. There's the title. Brighton have scored again. Two 0 Brighton. So it's going to be down to us. We've got to beat them in the cup final, otherwise the fucking treble is on. And yeah, 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 probably. And it is a state of affairs, Edward. It really, it really is. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing about Real is there's nothing on the bench. It's just, there's nothing. So they've been very, we, we expect them as a like super club to be spending bazillions. And they did spend big on Chumani, but they have been quite tight in recent years around their actual spending. And the depth of squad isn't there. And that's why they're behind a Barcelona side who's not perfect either. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I sort of have made my peace with it because as regular listeners will know, I've been saying that this is on the agenda for quite a number of months now because it's just, yeah, it's it's felt like this. And 
I think that I think that it's going to happen probably, and it won't feel as bad as I thought it was going to feel. Although, my, the, like the, the cup final situation is obviously is obviously bothersome, but the thing when you judge when you judge the greatest ever teams, obviously the first thing you have to look at is what did they win, and this team will be there. But what did this team mean? Which has nothing to do with how good they are. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. What legendary moments have this team been involved in? None. And it's not. It doesn't feel like an occasion. And that when United did it, the world was different. But no one in the world who cares at all for football will forget anything. Oh well, obviously they'll forget some things. But no, no, no one will forget that season. And that goes for absolutely everyone. So, yeah, there'll always be that. Yeah. And so I guess this is how I'm justifying it to myself. Yeah. But yeah. we are at the justification stage. We in are, the hasn't even happened yet. Yeah, just... just there yeah. it is. Uh, no, for sure. I mean, uh, mentally, I, I will dismiss City as, uh, as a sports-watching state-owned fucking franchise. They're, they're every piece of shit and cancer in the game at the moment. It's them. And yes, they'll win everything, but it's fantasy league. So that's how I have to rationalise it. And and I think a lot of people do outside of City. This is why Guardiola moans constantly about not getting the respect he thinks he deserves. So poor him. And then they'll jet it's, off to they'll jet off to Abu Dhabi after they after they lift the Champions League, and there you go. That'll be their moment of glory for the owners. All right, folks, thanks for listening to this, uh, this nonsense. We really do appreciate it. And we'll be back pro- midweek, actually. I think we, I've got a show midweek. And then uh, then next weekend to talk about United beating Bournemouth, hopefully. <laughs>